All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 505. It's just me and Jason today, and we're going to be talking about the generations. I don't know where it was, Jason. It was at some point where I think we were doing music where we began to realize that since we came into the year 2000, there's no sense of decade separation the way there used to be. When I was young, it was a big deal. You realized, oh, we're leaving the 60s going into the 70s, even a bigger one, 70s into the 80s. But what's more is the culture, the look, the feel, the music, all of it had a definite genre, for lack of a better term, that felt like that decade, which of course is social engineering, social programming. But what got us on this trail that we've hit a few times, and we're going to take on directly here, is that it's all become homogenized. Uh, at least from my point of view, in the 2000s. The decade dividers are not the same to the point that when we left 2010 to 11, it was just another day. There was, you know, nothing stood out about it. I mean, how do you remember? We were doing music, right? When we kind of stumbled into all this? Uh, Yeah, I was doing musical kind of things. I didn't see really any changeover that was significant. Now, obviously, I wasn't thinking about things quite like this yet. But no, there was nothing of significance that jumped out at me, unlike when I I was a senior in high school going from the 80s into the 90s. So that was uh, that was very noticeable. One thing that really stands out, two things that don't have the same influence that they used to, at least from my old man point of view, old man shakes fist at cloud point of view, (laughs) is music and cars. So back in the 60s and 70s, the cars and the music were a huge part of the culture that was, you know, pervasive all around. And that too seems to have become very homogenized. But it's a hell of a thing. You know, the youngest generation, as far as I know, maybe there's some behind them now that I'm not aware of, we'll get into it, is so-called Generation Z, they're calling them, or Generation Z in some parts of the world. And, you know, you and I always make the joke, what comes after Generation Z, right? Is that the end of the line? But you had uncovered in the research that they are pushing for a Generation Alpha to come next. Right. And what that is... They're the first generation solely born in the 21st century. So what I would like to do before we jump in is deal with my so-called generation. So I'm born in 1963. My wife, the people I grew up with are on either side of that by a year or two mostly. And we are considered the very tail end in most accounts to be the baby boomers, but we are not. And I'm going to put forward why we are not. And a lot of people are going to take issue with this, but I was there. And this is why we're not part of the boomers. The reason I am not part of the boomers is because I was not quite old enough to be involved in the big counterculture, which is really the defining trait of that particular generation. I was not quite old enough to be part of Woodstock or these other things that were really driving young culture or that generation's culture, so-called the counterculture at that time. And in that, there was a short period of time, I think in the 80s, when we were, I think, more correctly referred to as Generation X. But you got anything to add or you want to jump into this? Well, Generation X is definitely what I fall into. And these generations, as we're going to get into, 
They're not exact. There is no official organization and such that makes decisions on these things. It's just sort of something that gets into the media and people pick up on. (laughs) It's kind of like the term teenagers, right? There was no term for that kind of idea before the Tavistock folk had their way with uh, the counterculture, if I'm not mistaken, we had uncovered, and maybe it was even Coleman in Coleman's book about the 300, that that was one of the manipulative terms added into the lexicon to further their social programming programming agenda, uh, the term teenagers. But anyhow, I'm, I'm diverging from the main point here. Let's jump into generations. Generations, at least as far as the United States is concerned, are defined as social groups of people born around the same time who are said to share similar cultural traits, values, and preferences. In the U.S. today, many people readily identify themselves as millennials, Gen Xers, or boomers. But these generational names are a fairly recent cultural phenomenon, and they vary depending on the source. That is a fact. Because when I started looking at this a few years ago for some some line of research we were doing, it was all over the place, uh, not well-defined. And that led me to kind of consider that the whole idea of naming generations like this is probably part of a social programming agenda in the same way that you know teenagers and these other ideas that round about people into a group were added into the lexicon. But... If I want to be honest about it, as far back as I can remember in my lifetime, there was always the term greatest generation, but it was almost used singularly. In other words, there wasn't a lot of other generations that I'm aware of that were being referred to as readily as the so-called greatest generation, but we will get there. There are currently eight named generations stretching back to the end of the 19th century. There is no official organization that has named or is naming the generations. The names seem to come about as a result of various cultural influences that start to make their way into mainstream media discussions, whether it be particular pieces of published literature or various news articles. Keep in mind that the years mentioned to differentiate between the generations are not exact, and that some use slightly different years to define one generation to the next. Well, here's the thing that kind of feeds into what we're talking about. It's it's almost nondescript and there is no definite definition, but what is a generation? And I know a lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions. So I'll just lay down what I think I remember. And when I say what I think I remember, I'm openly admitting that this is memory. So, you know, how close to the mark am I? I think I'm as close as I can be, but what's the reality of it? I think I remember years and years ago, the idea that a generation was 30 years. Then I have a memory that it was 25. And then I remember doing research where the idea was 20 years. So I'll ask you, Jason, what is a generation? Is there any, do you feel like there's any solid reference point for what a generation in terms of time span actually is? As far as what I remember just picking up being in existence in Western culture, A generation from that context is uh, 20 to 25 years. But I don't think these generations are meaning the same thing. This is more like a cultural group. And then as things changed, they moved on to the next generation to name them, at least from the way they look at things nowadays. I kind of feel like the monikers like Gen Z, Gen X, Gen whatever the heck, back before the turn of the century, the millennium, uh, that they were more tied to the idea of decades. 
And uh, in a way now, it feels like everything is tied to the digital changeover in a weird way. The first generation is called the lost generation and is considered those born from around 1880 until 1900. The term lost generation is often used to refer to a group of writers, artists, and all others who came of age during World War I. This generation is so named because many of them seem to feel disillusioned and disconnected from the values and traditions of the past. They were often also said to be struggling to find their place in a rapidly changing world. The term lost generation was popularized by the writer Gertrude Stein, who used it to describe the young people she knew in Paris in the 1920s. Stein and many of her contemporaries felt that the war and the Spanish flu pandemic had destroyed the sense of stability and purpose that had previously guided their lives and that they were left feeling lost and adrift as a result. Writers and artists of the lost generation are often remembered for their contributions to modernist literature and art and for their experimentation with new styles and forms. Some of the most famous members of the lost generation include Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and T.S. Eliot. Isn't it interesting that there's an association in the open uh, mainstream media that we are pulling from here to pull it apart that the so-called Spanish influenza is associated with, wait for it, a lost generation. That's very interesting. But I had talked with Fortune as we were getting ready to do this because he was there for a lot of these generations, to be frank. And he had remembered the lost generation as the 1920s, and he went into an explanation of why, but he said a thing which I think was pretty salient. He said that the generation that went into World War I, many of them after the fact, knew that they'd been taken, that they had been boondoggled. And he said that isn't it interesting that that cannot be said of the so-called greatest generation that went into World War II, never comprehending that they had been boondoggled. But there's what I can add. The next one is most often called the greatest generation, but sometimes called the GI generation. GI stands for government issue or general issue. This term is for those who were born between 1900 and 1925. This generation had witnessed both the Great Depression and World War I, with the eldest members also experiencing World War I and the Spanish flu pandemic. This generation is typically thought of as having a strong sense of duty, responsibility, and loyalty, and is often described as being hardworking, self-sacrificing, and rather patriotic. Notably, duty and responsibility were very common themes of this generation because the state of the world at the time had demanded such traits. The term greatest generation was popularized by the journalist Tom Brokaw, who used it as the title of a book he wrote about this generation. The book tells the stories of men and women who lived through some of the most challenging and transformative events in modern history and who helped to shape the world we live in today. Radio entertainment and pizzerias were in for the greatest generation. Polio and crank-starting automobiles would come along later in the lives of these folks. The term cranky, in fact, was coined as a term describing the mood of frustration that hand-cranking a car would often cause. All right, let me make the point here. I mean, come on, Tom Brokaw, how are we going to separate any of these so-called labeled generational ideas from social engineering? Brokaw is credited with this, but think about what we're saying here. 
They're calling this generation, which I always heard is the greatest. They were great. They were part of World War II. The United States was the white knight. They saved the world. There was patriotism. This bled all the way into my my parents' generation. So proud to be Americans. They never forgot the 50s, but back up a little bit. This so-called GI generation, the greatest generation, they witnessed the Depression, some of them World War I, World War II, and another pandemic. So I would just add, isn't this the perfect name for that? The government issue generation, how much programming and, and global, well, not to use the term, worldwide social engineering. And it's interesting to think, it's almost like the 1950s was a reprieve because, you know, think of going through all those things. And then the 1950s, I think in most people's minds is kind of like the golden age of what it meant to be American, but it didn't last long, did it? The silent generation is next before the very well-known baby boomers came along. The silent generation are people who were born between the mid-1920s and the early to mid-1940s. This generation name is characterized so because they were seen as being more reserved and less inclined to speak out on political and social issues compared to the coming baby boomers who came of age during the 1960s, many of whom were known for their activism and taking part in the counterculture movement going on at the time. Members of the silent generation grew up during or were greatly influenced by the Great Depression and World War II and are often described as being hardworking, practical, and disciplined. They are also sometimes referred to as the loyal generation because they are seen as being more loyal to institutions and more respectful of authority than some of the generations that would follow them. The silent generation witnessed the transformation from radio entertainment to television. The conservative nature of early television reflects their demeanor. Many of the silent generation born in the late 1930s and early 1940s confuse themselves as being referred to as baby boomers. This seems to be the result of the term being more well-known and the fact that marketing companies have used this term to identify with anyone over 65 years of age since around 2010. There it is, marketing companies. Uh, The silent generation? Really? So, I mean, it's almost like they're being labeled from the perspective of a social engineer. These people weren't a problem. They minded their own business. They were hardworking. They didn't you know, push against the status quo. They didn't talk against the government. But guess what? Their children did. And that became a real problem. I am convinced that the so-called boomers or the children of the silent generation, those who started to come of age in the 60s, uh, were a real problem. There were a hell of a lot of them, and they were not happy with their mom and dad's and grandparents' world, the wars, just all of it, and they were going to push against it. And that had to be dealt with. And we have done many episodes to show that the bulk or the heavy-handed, most prevalent social engineering we can see was aimed at the so-called boomers, and it echoes into today. But that's a hell of a thing, the silent generation, right? Because they did what they were told to do. Next, we have the baby boomers. This term refers to the demographic of people who were born approximately between 1946 and 1964. This name came about because of a population boom that occurred after World War II. 
Baby boomers are a generation that came of age during a time of highly significant social and political change. Most grew up and raised families during the civil rights movement with a never-ending fear of nuclear war propaganda being shoved on them during the Cold War and the Korean and Vietnam conflicts. This generation also saw the dawn of the age of computers. Raised jointly by the greatest generation and the silent generation, the baby boomers are a curious mix of the risk-little, lose-little mentality of their parents and the emerging momentum and rewards of the world's booming third industrial revolution. Mainstream history suggests that by 1970, the eldest of the baby boomer generation were said to have positively influenced the world at large and notably their parents' generation as well. The cultural and societal impact of this generation is definitely significant, with people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates being counted amongst them. Uh, that's what the mainstream is going to zero in on. Look what these people are doing now. Uh, let's be honest, this is criminal. They're still pushing to go get shot up with poison and other things. They are buying farmland at a clip. I mean, that's that's a sidestep to where we're going here. But the baby boomers, there were so many, there still are so many boomers. And I'm convinced, Jason, that all this kind of gender programming, race programming, what's gone on with media and movies, that they no longer give a damn about the boomers because they're looking beyond. They are very interested in the programming of the so-called Generation Z and the millennials. And what we see here is that all the things that the boomers were interested in or liked in media doesn't make a difference. And if we look at some of the biggest changes that have occurred in my lifetime, so from the 60s forward, to me, it was all side effects or maybe intended effects of the social engineering and taking control of the baby boom, boom movement, who truly, I think, wanted to change the world. They got drugged damn near off the face of the planet. And this drug use was not pervasive before this generation. And it was normalized, normalized to the point where the big local pusher now is a pharmaceutical company. Some of the biggest drug problems we have come from pharmaceutical pills that are being sold. Back in the day, it was not that at all. It was you know, the pusher man on the street corner doing whatever, but it's been normalized to that degree. The things that were done to deal with, marginalize, and silence the boomers have really shaped everything that came later. But think of the things that they're pointing out here that they had to deal with. Uh, nuclear war pop propaganda. If I'm right, nuclear weapons don't exist as described. So that would absolutely classify as social engineering. And that echoes all the way to today. But think about the change in the life of the boomers, of people like me, where the big switch here is we're going from analog to computers. And that switch is really the defining trait of all the recent generations, computers. It's not so much culture being built on the things it used to be built on. It's all being powered by a digital stream now. I mean, what would you add, Jason? Almost the entirety of what I see young people involved in with culture, that's all driven by things like TikTok and the like. I mean, what do you think? 
It is, and it's also a constant bombardment, as well as a constant distraction because their attention spans have literally gone to hell. Now, the one thing I am noticing to some degree is that with this super heavy-handed attempt by the various media organizations to shove propaganda down the younger people's throats, because I think you're right, they're definitely not really giving a crap about uh, appealing anything to baby boomers or maybe even Gen Xers at this point. But the thing is, some of the Gen Zers are starting to figure it out, and they're no longer even taking in that propaganda, that mass media, because they see what's going on. I had a very good discussion with my daughter, who is 19, about to be 20, which makes her a Gen Zer, and her and her friends, they are really starting to see it. Not all of them, but the nostalgia programming that we've talked about so many times isn't going to work if, one, they don't want it, and they're not accepting it, which is starting to happen because they've overdone it. They're going too far with it. And two, the younger kids are not being shown this stuff by the parents because the parents very much are catching on that this stuff is absolute garbage and trash and is just trying to indoctrinate their kids in some way. The social engineering leveled at the so-called millennials and so-called Generation Z. When I consider my life and what I went through in my time, I can't imagine trying to survive what's going on now. Everybody with a high def camera in their pocket instant. I mean, just when I look at the landscape, but the engineering is overwhelming because we can see that the culture is being built by things like TikTok. And what is it about that media? Well, that's the lowering of minds. How often do you see these tactics to get a clip viewed where it say, this will terrify you. This is shocking. What the world should never have seen. It's all this low-minded extravaganza to try to get you to click, but then the content itself is diminished to the point where people are looking for music now that goes 16 seconds. You know, I watch some of the big music people who are interested in music complaining about the state of what has become of music And even writers, I watched a thing about a very good writer the other day where he doesn't even take freelance gigs anymore because what they've done is they first, they started to say, Hey, bud, can you write us five paragraphs? Well, can you write us 600 words? Well, really we need 400 words. Well, really we want four paragraphs, but we really like the one or two sentence paragraphs. You can see how the powerhouse places that control and design the media platforms and put out the so-called e-magazines or anything written online are dumbing it down, dumbing it down, dumbing it down to the point where the attention span of the young people being exposed to this is literally 16 seconds. And that is a problem because as far as I know, if you don't read a lot, there's not a lot of other ways in this world to become aware of so many things But when your attention span has been beaten down to less than a minute, can you imagine anyone sitting down to actually read something like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, which was popular in my generation when I was younger? It's it's a hell of a thing. And And I'll add another thing. I've noticed this trend to completely bag and shame Generation Z because they want to be portrayed as stupid as not knowing anything. And I'll ask a simple question. Whose fault is that? If I took you back in your life to your teens, 
and you were put in the similar position, would you be any different? I'm just saying, if they don't know things, it's because the older people haven't taken the time to ensure that they know things. They've allowed the education to diminish. They've allowed all these things. And I just see this overwhelming push right now to label Generation Z as completely moronic. And that is a social programming tool because at some point, if that is said often enough for long enough, those folks themselves, those young lives will begin to believe that that's true. I mean, isn't some of the onus on us older folks who have say in what education is, or for that matter, in ensuring that our, the people under our charge are getting educated, uh, you know, in general about the world at large? I'm just saying. Doesn't the ownness fall less on the young lives that are supposed to be shaped and guided by the older generation? And doesn't that ownness fall more on the older generations that have allowed this to occur? I'm just asking the question. Well, traditionally, yeah. The previous generation and the previous two generations, if you're fortunate enough to have grandparents still around, should be passing on morals and values, if not outright education. I don't know how much that's happening anymore, and maybe that's part of the social engineering plan. If they destroy enough, what are these people going to be passing on to the younger ones, especially once we get up to Generation Alpha? That's going to be, I guess that would be Gen Xers' children and somewhat even Gen Zers' children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. But, you know, as I think about what I just said— Or millennials, actually. It would be millennials now that I think about it. Right. It would be millennials. It would be 1990s folk, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So mostly, I mean, not entirely, but what I just said was a little too cut and dry now that now that I'm observing it. I, I try to think of what was going on when I was in my teens. Take, for example, porn. When I was young, this was not prevalent. You might know a family member whose dad had Playboy magazine or things like this. And I'm speaking totally from the male perspective because I don't have any other perspective. But when we got into the 80s, all of a sudden people started to have cassette video cassette players. And here's the thing. Uh, one of the big purveyors of the porn that came out on cassettes was a Disney company called, I think it was called Buena Vista to show this wholesome Disney that we all grew up on. Well, they were, they were busy with their programming in the 80s too. But even at that point, porn had not become super prevalent, though it started to become more available. Now think of things like that, um, the exposure to the youngest generations now, where I don't know, most young people are getting phones when they're what, 10, 11? And how is a parent who isn't completely tech savvy going to block that exposure? And I'm just adding it in because what I just said, while it's true from a point of view, it's it's there's no gray area and there's so much gray area here. I'm just I'm just pointing up out what they're up against in the computer age because exposure at a young age to things like porn that's going to have an effect on morality and everything else that follows. Well, if you want to see something interesting, I've come across videos from uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe even back in, into the 20s where there's people from the 1800s being interviewed about things that went on back then, sometimes about the Old West. Uh, I found some on the last surviving witness to the Lincoln assassination, things like that. And I'll glance at the comments. And one thing I'm noticing people are picking up on, which I also picked up on, is just how different those people come across. 
we're literally able to see video of people who are born 150 years ago. And they're a lot more stoic in a lot of ways. They seem way more respectable in the sense that they really have their shit together, if you want to put it that way. And that they would be trustworthy. And the people just seem so different from now where you just have no idea who you can trust or who you could believe in, whereas these people are coming across as very genuine. I think what you're pointing out is what I noticed even in my lifetime, Jason. They were grown up and they had moral compass. Like my father is an example. My father was never a rich man. He taught at the college level for his career, never had a lot of money. I mean, I was in a household that didn't even see a color TV till the late 80s. We did not spend, we didn't even go out to dinner. If we went out to dinner when I was young, it was a very, very rare occasion because my father couldn't see spending that kind of money for just a meal. But the point I'm making here is he would literally take a loss out of his own pocket if he was required to do what he felt was right. And that was going to be the outcome. Didn't matter what doing what he felt was right and ethical. That was what mattered. And when I was young, I I saw exactly what you're saying. People, you know, that I, I viewed as adults, they seemed far more grown up than they do. And I look at myself now. And I ask, if I was a young person looking at me now, am I portraying as as morally forthright and grown up? But here's the thing I think everybody can sink their teeth into. Has everybody noticed how ethics is like damn near extinct? When I went into a dentist's office 20, 30 years ago, there was a professional air about the whole situation. That's gone. It, it, it doesn't exist in my experience now. The ethics, the morals, the professional nature of things has all been undermined. And that too reminds me of a thing Fortune told me about a year ago. He said, young crow, are you aware that there is no culture that has ever survived the fall into hedonism? And we started talking about it. And I said, well, what is it? And he brought up this very thing. He said, have you noticed how adults don't seem grown up? And I've said on the air, I was, I don't know, in my 30s, pushing my 40s, and I was still asking myself, do I feel grown up? That's pathetic. Shouldn't that have been a question I was asking myself in my early 20s before I got to the point where, yeah, I'm grown up now. I'm doing grown up things. And I know exactly what you're getting at, Jason. And even in movies, if you go back to the movie stars of, say, the 60s, um, those people just seem a lot more grown up. They seem to carry a more authoritative appearance. But I know exactly where you're going there. And um, it's spooky what Fortune said, because are we at that point of hedonism? And, you know, that it goes back to the porn thing I was just harping on. We've already done the drug things that got normalized in the 60s, and it's a part of culture now. And so many people are suffering from addiction, no matter how you choose to look at that. But the whole morality thing of when I was young, I can still remember women walked into a room, the men stood up, you opened a door for a woman. There was all this respect given. And the reason was, is because these were the mothers of the generation and they deserved respect. And that's kind of why I brought up the porn thing, because that all starts to get undermined 
and it gets sullied and the respect is gone. But I'm kind of starting to harp here like an old man telling people to get off the grass. Let's keep moving, Jason. Next comes Generation X and is said to be those individuals born between the years of 1965 and 1980. This generation is often referred to as Gen X because it follows the baby boomers, sometimes just referred to as the boomers. Members of Generation X are often characterized as being independent, self-sufficient, and resourceful. They are sometimes described as being the middle child of the three main generations, with the boomers being the elders and the millennials being the youngsters. Gen Xers are often seen as being more skeptical and cynical than the other generations and as being less interested in traditional forms of authority and hierarchy. They are also known for being the first generation to grow up learning about and widely accessing computers and the internet which shaped many of their experiences and perspectives in significant ways, and not always for the better. You know, early on, Jason, there was a blip on the radar where information was kind of sort of being freely exchanged. It did not last long, but even those short, however long it was, two years, three years, I don't know. It was a short time, probably less than five years if I had to guess. And I'm just doing this from memory, um, and we all know how accurate memory is. It changed everything for so many people, that free information exchange that was quickly brought under control. But for me, the logical divide, because I am these so-called generations, I, this is my lifetime, is the baby boomers should be the people who, and from my point of view, who were old enough to have experienced the counterculture or the idea of the Woodstock era. How about that? Gen X is what came after. As a matter of fact, the music reflected the Gen X idea because some of the social programming that you and I have covered before that hit my generation was punk rock. And of course, that social engineering paradigm was recycled in the grunge movement in the 90s, verbatim, even to the name of the albums. The point being is that back in the punk rock, which preceded new wave or first wave or whatever the hell you want to call these programming music agendas that were foisted on us, the words, I think there's even a band called Gen X now that I'm thinking of it, but there were actual lyrics and songs that I think I can remember that speak to Generation X. So I think I think it was a thing even then. Millennials, sometimes known as Generation Y, follow on from the Gen Xers. They are those born between 1981 and 1996. This term came to be used because they came of age around the term of the millennium. Members of the millennial generation are often characterized as being confident, connected, and open-minded. They are sometimes described as being more open to diversity and more accepting of change than previous generations. Millennials are also known for being the first generation to grow up with widespread access to the internet and social media, which has shaped their experiences and perspectives in significant ways. Millennials have been criticized for being self-absorbed, entitled, and considerably reliant on technology. Well-known millennials like Kim Kardashian and Mark Zuckerberg seem to have made considerable impact on this perception, but research suggests that these stereotypes are not supported by actual data. Well, this is another thing that I see being used to convince Generation Z that they're all idiots because they'll do things like they'll ask basic questions 
So most people listening that are older will think, well, that's the simplest question. They should be able to answer this and they don't. And then they ask a question about a Kardashian, which they can answer. And they use this to further kind of defame Generation Z as completely moronic. But think of the middle of this, Jason. They are sometimes described as being more open to diversity and wait for it, more accepting of change. And as you were saying it, consider this. Do you remember back in early digital tools, like when we were first learning, say, Photoshop or any other thing that has interfaces like that? Remember how you felt when they changed the interface? It was infuriating. It was like, what the hell? I finally figured out how to do this, and now they've changed it. Now that I look back, uh, isn't that a form of social engineering? It still gets done all the time, but people take it in stride. And I'm almost wondering if that observation relates to the so-called idea that a generation is more accepting of change. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It was a big deal back in the day when we were all getting used to digital tools and they would change an interface and you would feel like you were lost all over again. Oh, yeah. I definitely remember that. Do you think it was social engineering or do you think it was something else? Oh, I think it was both because sometimes things did need to be changed as new tools were invented. But just changing something to change something, well, what else could it be? Agreed. And I think the real difference here is there was a point early on where there were no standards of things that you would expect to see anywhere you went. And that was shaking out. But then there was the, you know, we're putting a new face on it, you know, where websites would totally redesign. And that's just a choice. I almost wonder if that was a social programming tool to get you used to letting go to what you wanted to be one way. Anyhow, that's it's kind of a... Uh, an off-center observation. Generation Z, also known as Gen Z or Gen Zers, is the next generation born between 1997 and 2012. This generation is often referred to as Gen Z because it follows the millennials, who are sometimes referred to as Gen Y. Members of Generation Z are sometimes characterized as being more racially and ethnically diverse more socially and politically conscious, and more open to change than previous generations. They are also known for being the first generation to grow up with widespread access to the internet and social media, which has shaped their experiences and perspectives in extremely significant ways. Gen Zers are often described as being more practical, more focused on security and stability, and more interested in social and environmental issues than the millennials. Generation Z is the first generation that is unlikely to ever use a road atlas, look something up in a physical encyclopedia, use a fax machine, or rely whatsoever on a printed newspaper. Genealogy research for this generation won't mingle much with microfilm or old paper records, but instead will collect most information from online sources and family collections. Some of this list that you pulled feels like, you know, them trying to get you to believe what they want you to believe. But let's ask a simple question. Everybody knows what's coming with money, with, you know, just let's say the Great Reset, what that's supposed to imply. Everybody feels it. Everybody's waiting for the shoe to drop. And if you were the social programmers and the people trying to implement these kind of slavery-minded changes to come, what would you want in a generation? Would it be good if you were trying to change things into a slave-based system for them to be more socially and politically conscious and more open to change than the previous generations? I mean, we've spent a lot of time 
showing folks what politics is. It is social engineering, lock, stock, and barrel. It's what it is. And as the media grew up, the power and reach grew up. But what do you think, Jason? It almost feels like the generation they need to try to pull this off is the generation that they are describing. So consider this. If they are wanting that generation to be as they're describing, it may also lead them to being far less nationalistic, which is the one thing that you would see, uh, say, something like a baby boomer or, or earlier, where they were, as you were saying earlier, proud Americans. These ones who are more open to multiculturalism and multi-ethnicism and stuff like that, they might not be so nationalistic, which makes it easier for them to whittle away the country that they're from even more. So I had read some things about a week ago that were claiming Gen Z is more open to the gender programming that's going on. It says here that they're more racially diverse, but even consider that, you know, it's really insidious how they've combined these old cards they used to play to get a reaction. In the old days, you played the politics card, the race card, the gender card, each one of those independently always they got their dividends they got the reaction they were after they got their people mad they got you know they they got what they wanted they've combined them all now right so much of this supposed woke is all being piled into one political idea and they're trying to claim that gen z is receptive and open to these mainstream programming ideas i don't know if that's true Actually, you got a better view than I do because you have a daughter who fits into this time period. So, yeah, I did speak with my daughter about these issues and I got an interesting perspective. She even showed me a conversation between her and some of her friends. They're starting to pick up on a lot of this woke crap, though. Like, it's really getting to that point. Even when the Super Mario Brothers movie came out, if that's the actual title of it, it's something like that. I had said to her, a lot of the uh, people who have seen it said it wasn't woke. And she's like, oh, really? Maybe we'll actually go see it then. Giving me the notion that they don't want woke. They're tired of it. Her and her boyfriend, who's just slightly older than her. It's, it's incredible what's come to pass. And as I was examining some of these social programming agendas and tools, like the race card being used in the way it is now, it occurred to me, I started to see when I was doing my research clips of young people being basically racial, racially bigoted against white people. And so you don't know, is this just what, you know, TikTok or other platforms or are, are making available for searches or is it pervasive? But it occurred to me that they've already planned for this kind of a race manipulation to fail, but the repercussion of the fail is going to play in their favor too. Because if you go into any social situation where you somehow make it uneven in the favor of 13% of the group, the backlash from that is going to be every bit as bad as the initial lopsided nature of the initial programming push, if you can follow that logic. Anyhow. Generation Alpha comes after Generation Z and is used to describe children who are born between 2010 and 2025. Social researcher Mark McCrindle coined the term for the most recent generation to denote a new start after Gen Z. They are the first generation to be born entirely in the 21st century, and they are often referred to as the next generation or digital natives. 
Generation Alpha is most certainly shaped by technology and is considered to be more connected, more globally aware, and more open-minded than previous generations. They are also the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in known history. The legacy of Generation Alpha is, of course, yet to be written. How is that even possible? They're the most racially and ethnically diverse? How does that, because there's, I don't, I don't get the logic behind that. The world is what the world is. But I mean, how do you deny that this generational idea isn't absolutely being used for social engineering ends when they call it the new start? So why is it this generation that's a new start? magically out of the bag how is it that this you know seems to couple with the great reset idea the next generation digital natives all kind of the description here almost points to the acceptance of a new world order if you want to and i think these ideas that are being pushed in mainstream narratives show you that it's being used for social engineering the grouping the division all of it but i have no idea how you can claim that one generation is somehow more diverse and, and ethnically diverse than another. There's as many racial people in the world at any time as there is. It, it doesn't make sense. We will now be focusing on the serious issues that are becoming all too noticeable with Generation Z. Unlike millennials who would have come of age during what is called the Great Recession, this new generation would have thought to be coming into a strong economy with record low unemployment. That, of course, has all changed now, as the nonsense COVID-19 scam has reshaped much of the social, political, and economic landscape. Instead of looking ahead to a world of opportunities, it is now said that Gen Z peers into an uncertain future. And that's what we'll be getting into in Hour 2. Yeah, this is why my heart goes out to the Gen Z people. And I think it's a shame that they're online so much effort is being made to show or to try to prove that they're moronic. Let me tell you something. Human beings learn by example. And young people are the product of the older people who took the time to teach them and show them the ropes. That's just a fact. You could say that of a baby rabbit. You could say that of a human being. It is the older generation who has the responsibility to help the new generation in and show them the ropes. Am I wrong here? I don't think so. But yeah, an uncertain future. This may be the so-called one of the first generations who faces a no work future. When I look back at my life, it was common. You got some probably menial job at first, not all of us, many of us, and you tried to work your way up till eventually you found what you thought you might do. And when I was younger, a lot of people got into that field that would carry them through the majority of their life. About halfway through my life, it became common for people to change what they did for work a number of times in a lifetime. But as far as I know, that was not common to generations previous. But the so-called Generation Z, if the programming goes the way that they want it to go, people are not going to work. They're going to get paid UBI. Automation is going to be doing the majority, supposedly, of the jobs that young people would typically cut their teeth at whether it's flipping burgers or doing whatever it is, your first job out of high school, getting into the workforce, that is all going to be flipped on its head. And it is a bleak future. I don't know how it shapes your perception because when I was young, that was the whole thing. Okay, 
you're out of high school. What do you, where are you going to work? What are you going to, you know, that was the guiding you into society idea. And there were people who went against it, but even that is at least a plan. There seems to be no certainty here for these young folks looking at the future. I mean, what would you add, Jason? Well, like I've been saying, I'm concerned about Gen Z, but uh, speaking to my daughter about this stuff really gave me hope that they're not all lost, as one might assume if their heads are constantly in the cloud, if you will, of all this digital nonsense, all these digital trappings. But no, I think that at least some of them are really starting to get it and figure it out. And I honestly think that the bad guys are making a huge mistake being so heavy-handed with all their programming. Look how much they got away with slowly doing things decade by decade. And you had the occasional person, like by the 90s, you you had someone like Bill Cooper really ringing the alarm bell. But it wasn't until after 2001 that you started seeing a lot of people starting to speak out on various things. So I don't know, man. I think that they're really trying too hard and pushing too fast, and it's just waking people up. And because of the side effects of the nonsense in various degrees, whether it's it's the vaccines, whether it's the uh, the social engineering aspects of it, a lot of people have figured out that it was complete crap, nonsense. It just wasn't the truth. And that's a mistake as well, because now those people are not going to so readily accept the next thing that they're going to try and shove on us, which of course is going to be crap about the climate. I agree, Jason. And I think that it's it's our responsibility, us older folks here, to try to help out like we should have from the beginning for the people born from maybe the 90s forward, the mid 90s forward. To me, it feels like the bulk of the serious social engineering that's meant to be long term is aimed at these age groups, free of this generational labeling that we've been talking about. Maybe people born mid-90s forward, they seem to be the target for the lion's share of the programming that wants to facilitate the so-called reset, the new world order, whatever the heck you want to call it. And that's a hell of a weight for any so-called generation to deal with. And I hope we begin to see older people stepping up. And instead of making videos defaming and trying to convince a generation that they're idiotic and somehow less than everybody else to help them out. How would it be to make a video in a different way? Well, do you know about these things? Well, here's what you need to know about these things or or something helpful. And I think that the mindset that I'm seeing online, or at least what's being promoted online, feeds into the programming that is targeting them. It almost feels to me like the baby boomers forward. So whatever generation I am and the baby boomers have become a throwaway generation to the social engineers. They'll deal with us while we're here, but what they're really interested in is the generations that come after for their big pie in the sky, new world order, or whatever you want to call it. Anyhow, anything else you want to add before I wrap up hour one of 505, Jason? Well, there are a lot of things to be concerned about with Gen Z, and that is what we're going to be getting into in hour two. All right, there it is. That's hour one of episode 505. Hour one is free to everybody at pro777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They, of course, have access to the full forum, comments under every episode, and they get free access to Shoot the Moon, which is a two-hour film that Jason edited together covering the majority of the interesting things I shot through my telescope. I think there's five lunar waves. It's got a number of awards. With that, 
Uh, we're going to prep up for hour two. I hope to see everyone on the other side logged in as a member. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome back to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is hour two of episode 505, just me and Jason. And we're picking up on the generational ideas. And I mean, how how is it possible that this isn't all part of social programming? Some of it looking in reverse, but some of it planned over basically generations. How is it to make this simple that Generation Z or the final letter in the alphabet lines up with the Great Reset? I'm just asking. I mean, what do you think, Jason? Is there any separating programming from what we're talking about? No, I noticed that too. And uh, it was kind of like, all right, well, what are we going to do next? Well, they do have it, don't they? They have Alpha starting all over again. We'll see. <laughs> we will see what, what comes of what. But I think it's pretty clear that as they label them, so-called millennials and Generation Z, they've got a lot of weight on their shoulders, don't they? They are going to have so much to contend with. But let's jump back in. While anyone who regularly partakes of mainstream media and indulging in social media will be treated to a healthy dose of social engineering, Generation Z is almost certainly going to be the ones falling for most of the poppycock, since they spend an extreme amount of time in what seems to be no more than an online echo chamber, trapping them in an endless loop of perceived problems that may or may not actually exist. Good point. This kind of underscores the importance of search return algorithms, doesn't it? Or, you know, the things we've talked about with AI, when you're logged into an account, how, you know, how what you see is delivered to you. I think this is all one hell of a test. And, you know, I saw some young people being asked questions about 9-11. That has already begun to fall off the radar. Uh, Many of them have no real perception of 9-11. And that, of course, too, is social engineering, isn't it? I mean, when you and I were young, we heard endlessly about World War II and all these other things that happened long before we had come to be. But how is it that the current generation has not been informed to any great degree or many of them about some generation changing event like 9-11? It's crazy. One of the first major issues that is also a major scam that Gen Z seems to be falling for in high percentiles is that of climate change. Climate change has been a pressing issue for many young people, particularly members of Gen Z. According to a 2019 survey by Amnesty International, 41% of Gen Z respondents cited global warming as the most important issue facing the world. This trend can also be seen in the increasing popularity of initiatives like the global climate strike movement and support for politicians who prioritize environmental policies. Well, I mean, I guess we should take a minute to consider the source. I mean, we've done episodes in the past that show how these supposed polls and surveys are put together. And if you want one, You can have it within 24 hours and it'll say whatever you want it to say, but I don't think there's any denying that. Well, look at it this way. If I was to ask everybody, do you think that if there was another COVID variant, whatever the hell they want to name it next week, that people would so readily line up and do what they were told as they did the first time around? And in that, 
don't we all really recognize that the programming that's come around next that will be so heavy handed is going to be about climate? Don't we all suspect, and I've seen actually some of the plans, so I kind of know the intent here, that it will be things like, well, you can't buy a plane ticket. You've used far too much carbon. And, you know, what about all the episodes we did on Greenpeace and other things where they put out a statement that's, yeah, man, we should be protecting the animals. But what you don't see behind the scenes is all the human beings that were marginalized or locked out of historical areas where they lived and other things in the name of environment. I think it's pretty clear that environmental ideas are going to be the foundation that we stand on for the coming lockdowns, for the limiting of freedoms and these type of ideas. So it doesn't surprise me that they're claiming that nearly half of the young generation supposedly buys into this. What the truth may actually be, who knows? Yeah, go check where Plymouth Rock's water level is and (laughs) tell me if uh, climate change has been going on for the past couple hundred years. Good point. But I've been to Plymouth Rock and I can tell you that the one sitting there is a modern, you know, tourist trap just to make the point. But it's been sitting there a while. So, yeah. There's absolutely a noticeable concern with mental health issues among younger people, most especially with Generation Z. The make-believe COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting self-imposed social isolation made the issue even worse. Students were forced to adapt to distance learning and limited in-person interactions. This lack of social interaction, which caused increased stress, contributed to a decline in mental health. Once again, social media and other online echo chambers contributed to constantly adding fuel to the fire. Well, again, we have to consider the source. Are we being told things that they want us to accept are true? Is there, you know, it's one of these problems we have with online research, but I I think we can logically deduce, look at the medications that are being prescribed, look at what's being sprayed in the air, look what's in the water, look at, I mean, everything right now uh, is creating a toxic environment. So it's not hard to imagine that a young generation that's come to be in the face of all this is going to be pretty hard hit. I don't think there's any denying it. As an example of mental health issues, in February of 2023, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released data showing that nearly one in three high school girls considered suicide in 2021. This is a 60% increase since 2011. More girls also now report feeling so sad and hopeless that they couldn't engage in their normal activities for at least two weeks in the last year. Well, I mean, I don't want to bang the drum here, but this is from the CDC. We know who they are. We know what they're about. And we know the problems they caused intentionally. Yeah, exactly. So if they're claiming these things are true, then if they want to be worth anything, then they should probably admit that they were the lion's share of the cause of all this, people being locked up or locking themselves up is maybe a better way to say that. So unfortunately, this is the problem with the mainstream timelines. The CDC is a criminal organization from my point of view. Basically, if all this was true that they just stated, they had a heavy hand in causing it. And why? Why? So the president of the United States could get this mysterious disease and be in a hospital for three days and then go back to work. That's why they did all this. Just saying. The National Survey on Drug Use and Health is a large, federally funded study that puts a premium on privacy and confidentiality. 
The study assesses depression using the criteria for major depressive disorder in the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, considered the standard for diagnosing mental health issues. The criteria included experiencing depressed mood, insomnia, fatigue, or markedly diminished pleasure in life every day for at least two weeks. The result of the surveys showed that the number of teens with clinical-level depression doubled between the years 2011 and 2020, with the increase in depression among young adults not far behind. The suicide rate for young people skyrocketed after 2007, exceeding the previous highs of the early 1990s. The teen suicide rate nearly doubled between 2007 and 2019, and the suicide rate for those in their early 20s jumped by 41%. The suicide rate of 10 to 14-year-olds, most of whom would be elementary and middle school students, tripled overall and nearly quadrupled for girls. This means that twice as many teens were taking their own lives in 2019 than just 12 years earlier, and three times as many kids in 5th to 8th grade died by taking their own lives. I just have to ask, is any of this true, Jason? And if there is some truth down in the core of things that we couldn't possibly get records for, wouldn't the cause of that have to be with the pandemic and the timelines that they're giving? Although they do go back before it here, they're stating that it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. So again, if this, if there is any correctness to this, then these very authorities caused it or helped cause it. And so then it becomes, this was social engineering. I hope these numbers are not right, but I have no idea how we ever get around to it. And this brings me back around to another thing. You know, I began to wonder when we were in the middle of COVID and covering, you know, having people come in, tell us what had happened in hospitals. We learned about remdesivir and and the ventilators and all these just terrible things that were diminishing your life expectancy by huge percentage points. And I began to think, is how are they tracking the records? And again, my mother passed away just over a year ago. And when my father died, I picked up a phone because he had paid for a plan and they were here within 30 minutes. They took my father away. They cremated him within, I think, one or two days. And I was holding the remains for burial within three days. When my mother died, the phone line went blank and it was the same number. And so I persisted, oh, that company's out of business. And I'm all, well, we paid for a plan here. Well, let me see what I can find. They put me in touch with another place. Uh, Well, we'd like to help you, but we're in Massachusetts and it's against the law to transport a body over state lines. Well, wait a minute. I called this number back in 2005, and they were here in 30 minutes from Massachusetts, took my father across the lines and did what they needed to do. Well, you can't do that anymore. Let me put you in touch with someone else. Five contacts and phone calls later, there's a place called Neptune on the line. I kid you not. Yeah, we're going Greek God here. God of the sea. Oh, well, we're here from Neptune and I'm all, did I just get ripped off? Did I pay for a thing? Oh, don't worry about it. We'll cover all the costs. I'm like, well, who are you? Well, we're handling this now. And so as I got into it, I began to realize that this 
probable multinational called, I think it was Neptune, it was a Greek god, had taken over all the places that had failed and is just honoring their contracts because that's what they could do. And that's when I began to realize this is how you get accurate numbers. A place like Neptune knows how many bodies they've picked up, how many people have been created. They know they're doing it. They're freely covering all these contracts and agreements that were made for places that went out of business. So what does that tell you? And the point I'm making here is we read all this mainstream stuff, which is what we pull from, uh, how much of it is true. And this becomes the real problem. We don't have an easy way to know what is true across all the counties and states, do we? But they do because they have places like Neptune. So they know exactly how many people passed away during all this. A poll from Pew Research Center showed that smartphone ownership in the U.S., which began in 2007 with the introduction of the Apple iPhone, crossed 50% at the end of 2012 into the beginning of 2013. This was also around the time the social media use among teenagers went from optional to what many thought as being mandatory. In 2009, approximately half of teens used social media every day. By 2012, three out of four were doing so. The rise of these new technologies seemed to be the most likely culprit for the significant rise in teen depression, which included self-harm and suicide. The conclusion seems obvious. The large and sudden changes in mental health and behavior between millennials and Gen Z seems to have arisen from the fastest adoption of any technology in human history. Well, let me ask a simple question. If you simply took a group of young people and didn't allow them to go outside and play anymore, what would be the result of that? Would you start to see similar ideas? And to me, that is the spiritual foundation of being so separated from the creation. That's a big issue, isn't it? So many people now are not going out and playing like we did when we were kids. And what are we doing? We're recognizing the creation. We're going out. We're learning things in nature. We're getting sunshine of all things and doing these other things. And what do we hear now? They might meet face to face, but they don't even talk. They say, well, what's your Instagram? Okay, then we'll talk later on Instagram. That one simple thing. The separation from being outside in sunlight and the creation, would that cause these kinds of problems alone? I'm asking because I don't know the answer, but I know that it's not healthy. Another issue that is being hammered as a serious issue by mainstream media on a daily basis is that of inequality in society. Not just inequality, though, but inequality based on such factors as race and gender. Anyone who takes a look at reality and not the screen of an iPhone knows that this isn't a massive issue, but much more of a manufactured one that the mainstream is pushing nonstop. That's not to say that there aren't small percentages of people who aren't capable of just being cool with everyone else, because such people do exist in the world. Once again, social media is helping to convince people of something that is not a reality. Gen Z seems to be believing the poppycock more than anyone else, and this is making them have a strong desire for what they think is needed change to create an understanding of the need for inclusion and equal opportunities. This isn't 1935. That inclusion and equal opportunity has existed for literally decades. Let me offer a no-nonsense idea, and this shows kind of the programming nature of how race, gender, and other things are all being combined to massive effect. 
successful for the programmers. If you've got a race problem like the Black Lives Matter, then how come, let's say the president doesn't stand up and say, we've had enough. I am directing all the police officers, all the police chiefs in the country to do something about this. And by the way, we're passing a federal law here. Then all the police chiefs say, guess what, guys? If you don't do the right thing that's expected within the course of your job, you may be prosecuted, but certainly you're not going to be working here anymore. Problem solved, right? Isn't that how everything used to go in the old days? If there's truly a problem, the man at the top, the guy in charge, the woman at the top, the woman in charge says, look, these are the rules. And guess what? We're enforcing them. You break these rules, you're going to be out the door. Isn't that really how you deal with a problem? But that's not what we see, is it? What we see is video of the same thing happening over and over in very limited places, a small percentage of the reality that is the entirety of the whole of the nation, but the video and airplay just repetitive over and over and over to blow up the programming idea behind it. And this is really no different than the idea of climate change. How is it that I am responsible for climate change? Isn't it really the people who create the products at the highest level, like the cars or the energy or the electricity? Aren't those the people that have the onus to switch how they're doing business? Because I'm not a CEO. What I do is I live in a house and I try to be warm in the winter. So you can see the reverse narrative, which indicates the programming that's actually going on. In the last 10 years or so, there has been a significant increase in the United States in the number of what are called school shootings. Did anyone die or get hurt? A question you should definitely be asking. The first thing that is done to completely control a population is to disarm them. With that being said, these situations, whether real or staged, are being used to generate conversations about gun control and youth activism, with Gen Zers being at the forefront of advocating for much stricter gun laws. There it is. Pushing aside the boomers, we're just waiting for them to get off the stage, Gen Z or Gen X. Uh, We're going to really focus on the younger generations who have been limited in what they've been showing during their education. Many of them do not have a very clear idea of anything about 9-11, these types of ideas. But, I mean, come on. Shouldn't there be, in a no-nonsense society, a law that says if you're going to saturate the media with these kinds of stories, you have to be able to prove that they're real? We don't have that, do we? I mean, what was it, Jason? Smith Munt, I've forgotten. Schmidt Munt, Smith Munt was one of the early episodes we did way back that started to show the changes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So basically, it's against the law to program or what was the word they used, if you remember. I forget. It was legal up to a point for our media to do it to other countries, but supposedly it was illegal for our media to do it to us. And that was all changed. And Smith Month was one of the many things that changed, basically saying and removing the ownness of any immediate outlet from proving anything is anything. It can be a completely fabricated, made up thing. And they're not breaking any law anymore, are they? The main point here is if you're going to saturate the airwaves with there's a shooting every week, where is the onus to prove that it actually happened as a question? 
The issue of gun control also intersects with the race issues being pushed so hard, since the public is being told that numerous of the mass shootings in recent years have been motivated by supposed white supremacist ideology. Again, while there are certainly a small percentage of low-minded morons who actually subscribe to that sort of philosophy, it most certainly is not the issue that the mainstream media is trying to convince everyone it is. And of course, this is pushing Gen Zers to advocate for changes of all sorts to address gun violence and its connections to racism and hate. Boy, they're getting it from both ends, right? They've got the younger people making videos that are basically openly racist against white people. And then on the other side of the coin, they're pushing all this violence, saying it was, you know, race related. They're just the media is one of the biggest problems that is going to have to get dealt with eventually. How can it be that it is currently allowed for a very few companies to own a solidified message? Doesn't matter what party politically it's involved with anymore. That message, like the gun violence, is going to saturate the airwaves to the point where even if any given incident had truly happened, it represents a very small percentage of the reality of 24-7, everyone's life everywhere in this country. And yet, even if it had happened, it would be blown up to a point where it starts to appear like an epidemic. But to come back to the point, there is no ownness to prove that any of it is real. And that is a critical, critical problem. It all seems like divide and conquer tactics to me. Taking it from both ends, it's nothing other than, and and by the way, I mean, we nailed it. How is it remotely possible that Gen Z, Z, just happens to line up with the reset? Now, this next issue is actually based in some sort of reality, but not for the reasons that most think they are. Gen Z come across economic issues in their echo chambers all the time. Gen Z has economic concerns regarding fear of accruing debt, limited job opportunities, and the difficulty of finding affordable housing. These are actually legitimate concerns. However, these concerns have been at least partially fabricated, then exacerbated, by the financial insecurity many young people and their families had to face during the pandemic. To put it simply, Gen Z seems to be worried about being able to financially support themselves in a struggling economy. I mean, everybody sees how it is out there. People are going broke, and this too is just by design, and the money is about to change all of it. And again, you know, can you imagine growing up in a generation where there is no clear-cut idea of how you get a job or into the workforce or make your way or somehow, you know, buy a house, all these things completely on quicksand right now. Um, It's got to be terrible facing that at a young age. And this next point is from Futurism.com, March 3rd, 2023. Members of Gen Z are entering the workforce with certain types of technological know-how, from navigating the depths of the internet and using apps to editing photos on their smartphones. But when it comes to using a scanner or printer or even a file system on a computer, things become a lot more challenging to a generation that has spent much of their lives online The Guardian reports, a counterintuitive result of workplaces still relying on technologies that were around long before they were born. Quote, the assumption is that because Gen Z and even millennials spend a considerable amount of time on technology, 
that they're technology savvy, Debbie Irish, HP's head of UK and Ireland Human Resources, told Work Life last year. Quote, this is a huge misconception. Sadly, neither watching TikTok videos nor playing Minecraft fulfills the technology brief. There's plenty of evidence that Gen Zers don't feel adequately prepared for office life. Last year, a LaSalle Network survey found recent graduates simply didn't possess the technical skills to successfully enter the workforce. Then there's social media, which has set a high bar for accessibility. Quote, it takes five seconds to learn how to use TikTok. Content creator Max Simon, who makes TikTok videos about corporate life, told The Guardian. Quote, you don't need an instruction book like you would with a printer. Content is so easy to access now that when you throw someone a simple curveball, they'll swing and they miss, he added. And that's why Gen Z can't schedule a meeting. But for tech-savvy Gen Zers, the situation is quite different. They're still far more adaptable than their older colleagues and will frequently be tapped for help themselves. That kind of trial and error and Google-assisted problem-solving has long gone over the heads of the older generations, which will only deepen the divide. Do you smell the red herring here? Are you freaking people serious? They don't know how to use a printer, so they're unemployable. Has everyone forgotten that typically at entry-level jobs or when you first start out, you get trained? Are you telling me that Generation Z cannot be shown how to use a printer in a reasonable amount of time in a single day? I'm just saying, this is such a red herring, Jason. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Gen Zers can use printers. And not only that, they are more, you know, they've done everything online. They're going to pick these things up more quickly, probably, than the older people. This is such a a mind-bending tack on their part. If you reread this carefully, you're basically saying, well, they use TikTok and they can figure that out in 10 seconds, but they can't possibly be taught how to use a computer or a scanner. Please, this is, this is poppycock at the highest. Over the last decade, we have seen social media grow rapidly in importance to large groups of people, but none more so than Gen Z. Generation Z spend more time on the internet than watching television or going to sports events or movies. It is said that it is very common for Gen Z to wake up, grab their phones, and spend long periods of time scrolling through social media posts. According to the most recent statistics, the projected number of worldwide social media users in 2023 is 4.89 billion, indicating a 6.5% rise from the previous year. The ever-increasing use of social media has also seen the rise of what are called social media influencers. Here we go. The influencers, which, as everybody knows, as the onset of censorship became open pre-COVID, as it came out in the open 20, I mark it as the fall of 2017 when it was openly admitted that this was going on. I think it even made the cover of Wire magazine. It's when my YouTube channel got deleted for no reason. What are we talking about here, Jason? Isn't this one thing alone a reason to make a whole generation unhappy if this is true, waking up, spending hours and hours in a screen separated from sunlight and normal human interaction and these kinds of things. And I think there's a lot to it. Uh, The young people I know and are familiar with, yeah, they even sleep with their phones. As a matter of fact, they don't turn them off. So if something happened in the middle of the night, they'd actually wake up and use their phone. It's a crazy thing. And this, I, I mean, think of Ready Player One. 
Isn't this the real end of the, the movie message? Right. Well, we took over the whole metaverse, but we've done a very responsible thing here. We shut it off two days a week. So, I mean, it's not like this isn't a known problem. Influencers in social media are people who have built a reputation for their supposed knowledge and, hopefully, expertise on one or more topics. They make regular posts about their respective topics on their preferred social media channels, with many generating large followings of enthusiastic and engaged people who pay close attention to their views. Some obsessively so. Mainstream brands love the extremely popular social media influencers because they can use them to help create product trends and encourage their followers to buy the products that they promote. The best social media influencers can be very, very well compensated for their efforts. I think that there are a huge number of young people where when you ask, what do you want to do? This is high on their list to be a, uh, an online personality of some sort. I don't think people have a fair look at what this is. Firstly, to be an influencer on a place like YouTube, you have to be doing something that YouTube is okay with. Now, say for me, if I just wanted to make it all about telescopes and I didn't say controversial things about what I think I'm looking at, then that's fine. So my point being is, first of all, you've got to be approved in what you're doing. Not just anybody can do anything. But what most people don't realize is the slavery that being an online influencer turns into. It is nonstop. And by the way, when I lost my YouTube channel that I had worked for years, Lord knows how many thousands of hours in video, imagery, uploading, editing, comments, all the things that I used to take part in. The day that it was gone, I felt like I had been kicked in the stomach. It was devastating. And that lasted for exactly three days until I said to myself, what is wrong with you? And I just let go. And a day later, I felt much better. But I can imagine a person whose entire living is tied to this, the stress of watching, oh, people don't like what I'm doing. But what you don't realize is this, for a lot of these people, it becomes a form of self-imposed slavery every day, all day, making content. And you can look up clips talking about people that are so burned out and they need a break. And it's not all that it's cracked up to be, to be an online influencer if you're on platforms. Now, the amount of work that Jason and I do, sure, it's seven days a week. But guess what? If like a couple of weeks ago, I was getting really burned out and people even commented, they could hear it in my voice. And, you know, Rose said, guess what? You know, we're not going to schedule so heavily next week. You're going to get a four day weekend. And, you know, this is the difference. You can recoup but it is all a lot of work. And the point I'm making, Jason, is that for the young people, this is high on their list of what they admire and what they'd like to be, but I don't think they have a fair view of what actually it takes. For a lot of these people, it becomes your waking life. It seems that while many Gen Zers emotionally invest themselves in social media influencers, many also want to be one. From TheHill.com, August 24th, 2022. With the rising popularity of social media came the fame and fortune of young social media influencers such as Addison Ray, Charlie D'Amelio, and James Charles. Now, new survey results from Higher Visibility show one in four members of Gen Z want to emulate these celebrities who make millions of dollars through brand sponsorships and advertisements 
but are also subject to intense public scrutiny on and offline. 16% of those surveyed said they would pay money to become an influencer. A total of 1,000 individuals in the United States between the ages 16 and 25 completed the survey in July 2022. Results varied slightly by region. More than 40% of respondents in the West said they want to become a social media influencer, compared with 33% in the Midwest, 36% in the South, and 39% in the Northeast. Broken down further, data showed 41% of New York Gen Zs intend on becoming an influencer in the future, whilst 30% from Los Angeles also feel the same way. According to authors, just 7.13% of Gen Z responded that they would not want to be a social media influencer. Right. It's the celebrities of the day, but it's got kind of a different tinge because it's the appearance that this person in their private life, you know, has made all this. But be careful what you ask for. I think we need to bring up, Jason, you know, what we've seen around us in the podcast space. Years and years ago, I recognized before YouTube took down what I had worked thousands of hours on that I was not going to be beholden. I could see where this is going. So I created my own website. And by the way, any young people that are really interested in getting into this, first of all, you better do some research to learn because for a lot of these people, it becomes all consuming every waking minute of their life to maintain what they create. And I'm not kidding, but you need to create your own platform and be free in some way from YouTube and others. And you can do research to look at how much control YouTube wheels over these people. It's crazy. But Jason, how many people that were in and around our space did we say you need to get your own website and didn't and are now feeling the heat? Oh, that's definitely a thing with too many people that we know. But there's also the uh, big problem with what I call the cult of celebrity. People can become really obsessed with you, whether you're an actor, musician, or a big-time person who's like a podcaster or a social media influencer, all these kinds of people. There's a psychological thing that goes on that's really weird with this cult of celebrity that can happen in certain people. It's, let me put it this way, it's not good for me. So I have done everything I can just to stay my own private self. Luckily, I have a wife that is very quick to tell me if my head ever starts to swell, but I have taken actions in doing this to the extent that I can to not be famous, basically, because I'm, I'm not a famous person. There's, I'm just another human being in the world, and I don't have the correct personality to be famous. But what you said, that's another thing young people should think about. It is a hell of a thing when the scrutiny of the world focuses on you. And for me, I do everything I can to avoid it, but it's a hell of a thing. And I know you, you too, Jason, you've seen it too. It's scary, to be honest with you, when the focus becomes white hot. Continuing on with the article, social media influencers can find audiences on a variety of platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. The rise of the industry was so strong that in 2020, creators launched the American Influencer Council. More famous celebrities can even make up to $1 million for posting a single sponsored image or video on Instagram. When queried, 
the majority of respondents guessed the average yearly income of an influencer was between $75,000 and $100,000, and many pointed to free products, earnings, and meeting other influencers as the top perks of the profession. Over a quarter of individuals also said they regularly post on social media with the intent to gain followers, while 35% of men report caring about their follower account compared with 31% of women. Notably, the survey revealed more men at 20% than women, 13%, feel being an influencer is the only career option for them, and 49% of males said they consider the path a good career choice. Almost one in five Gen Z members said they would quit their job to become a social media influencer, compared with over 12% who said they'd quit college to do so. A quarter of respondents also think there should be social media influencer training in high school. When it comes to parents' responses, more than 20% of individuals felt older generations didn't understand social media influencing, and only 8% reported their parents like them using social media. Survey results showed 26% of respondents said they trust influencer product reviews over product page reviews, underscoring the marketing power influencers hold. It is safe to say that over the years, the line between influencer and celebrity has blurred, with influencer culture permeating the younger generations and becoming more prominent as time goes on. It is a movement unlikely to falter anytime soon, authors concluded. Uh, before I wrote what you had written here, I had no idea that there were people out there making a million dollars for a single post. But again, you know, you're beholden. You're going to be beholden. But I mean, I guess I get why people want to do this, right? Uh, it appears glamorous. People are making a lot of money. And I think a lot of the influencers kind of show off that they're rich, at least a lot of them that I have seen. But at the end of the day, you are beholden. If you are famous on TikTok, if you are famous on YouTube, you are utterly controlled by the platform you are on. And if you do the wrong thing or something goes sideways, you can lose it all. I'm just saying, but I mean, come on, Jason, those are, I've never seen that written a million dollars for posting a single sponsored image. That's more than movie stars in my day, right? They used to make a million dollars movie. That was a lot of money. They spent better part of a year making that movie. There's a big difference between that and posting one thing on Instagram. Yeah, but that's probably like your top tier ones, like if a Kardashian posted it or something like that, or some really well-known actor or maybe a ball player who's at the top of their league, that kind of thing. I doubt very much that some of these freakazoids who are just being weird to be weird are getting a million dollars a post, but I don't have the research to back that up. So who knows? Well, you know better than I do because I can't even tell you actually any influencer's name at the moment. I don't think that would like be big. I just don't know. But do you feel like they are absolutely obligated to the platform in what they can say and what they can do? Oh, they absolutely are. They have to toe the line or else they'll start uh, running the risk of having things I mean, just like what we always dealt with, censored in some way, shape, or form. No major influencer that I'm aware of ever puts a toe out of line. And I would honestly say that the vast majority of them fall into what would be called the political left. So my point here would be is, isn't this another form of controlling celebrity? Because you're never going to see a YouTube personality come and talk about 
risque topics like we do, just making the point. It seems to be another form of planned control for what gets said to large amounts of people. NPR.com, April 26th, 2023. Gen Z's dream job in the influencer industry. The word influencer wasn't added to some dictionaries until 2019. And yet today, one in four Gen Zers say they plan to become social media influencers. You could call it a flash in the pan, like every generation comes up with its own dream job that seems too good to be true. But there's no denying that a whole industry has cropped up around social media influencing. There are influencer agents in training courses, conferences, and networking events. How did a generation get the idea that they could make money filming themselves? <laughs> well, because they saw people do it and get paid and get famous, right? It's crazy. But if you think about what this has done to the quality of content, so once somebody is well known, then they probably don't have to rely as much on the titles that instantly get ignored from me. If I see terrifying, shocking, world shouldn't have seen, there's a whole litany of words that if I see it in the title, it's just clickbait to me and I'm down the road. But this is what people are resorting to that are not super famous to try to get their content viewed. And it all becomes very lower minded and cessational. You know, it's lowered the quality of what was once available. When I look back at what was available on YouTube in, say, 2011, 2010, it's a far cry from what we see now. I mean, what do you think? Oh, immensely. <laughs> I mean, it has fallen through the floor, the level. It has become completely driven. By, and you see it at the beginning of every every video. There's a little segment in almost every video of someone who's trying to grow an audience that says, subscribe, click the bell, uh -huh. do this, do that. <laughs> and that is what's driving everything. And the other thing is apparently there's a perception that the algorithm will not rate you favorably if they don't watch the whole clip. And comment, by the way. That's a big thing that they all say now as well. And leave a comment for the algorithm. Right. So it's like, What's important here? What you're producing and the content you're putting out? No, that's not the benchmark. How many likes did I get? Did they watch it through the end? I can see that only 25% of you are subscribed. What the hell, man? And it becomes this very banal, lower-minded range of content because the benchmark for success has made it so. And I'll say it again. These types of controls go away if you can make a name for yourself and then get over to your own platform. And by the way, on your own platform, you can say what you want to say if you do it with tact. Anyhow. Whypulse.com, June 14th, 2022. Technology over dependence, addiction, ranked second as the top problem among young people. Tech and social media have always been major parts of young people's lives. But lockdowns and the pandemic, or I should say plandemic, made them even more dependent on their devices. And clearly, many believe that it's a problem for them. Ypulse data has shown that these generations are self-aware about their addiction to tech and how it's impacting their mental health. Our recent mobile app behavior research shows that 67% say they're addicted to their phones, and 67% say they wish they spent less time in front of screens. According to an ExpressVPN study, 
half of 16 to 24-year-olds are envious of people without a social media presence, while 51% are concerned about social media addiction. The same report found that 80% of 16 to 24-year-olds report their happiness, self-esteem, self-image, anxiety, loneliness, and depression have all been impacted by social media. And Pulse research found that social media has especially had a major impact on young females' mental health and well-being. Of course, social media, which is intrinsically linked to their use of devices, is also on the ranking. While it's common for older generations to blame social media and technology for young generations' issues and anxieties, it's perhaps less frequently discussed that young people themselves see their technology use as a problem as well. Many respondents indicated that they would be in favor of more regulation around social media and big tech and limitations to the ages at which people could have their own phones. I mean, we could bring up one-to-one comparisons, right? Uh, Things like cigarettes or other things like alcohol that are addictive. There's an age limit, I would just say. But I mean, really, this is the kind of thing that used to be up to the parents and other things. And this reminds me of the episode we did, Jason. Uh, I think it was about AI where I went in and I researched. It started because of a documentary movie, which I don't remember the name of, that showed all these engineers who had created platforms, who realized they had succeeded because they were addicted. They were leaving their work and going home and ignoring their family to keep coding on this addictive platform or whatever it was, app that they had created. And it led to 100% of the people that were in the film and of that I researched saying that their children are not allowed to have cell phones until they're old enough to drive. And if they do get a cell phone, it's for a limited amount of time because they might need it in case of emergency or something. In other words, uh, they did not allow their children to have cell phones at the typical age that most parents are allowing their children. But what's more, they had banned their children from the platforms that they helped design because they knew that they had built in an addictive nature to it. And there it is. That says a lot. There was a guy, and I'm forgetting his name. I forget if he was from Google or Facebook or one of those. I think it was Facebook, where he said that the addictive quality was very, very similar to a hardcore drug. Well, they yeah, this is what they absolutely know because this man, one of them, Uh, who had made a major platform, knew that for the success, it had to be addictive. And he recognized his success in his own addiction to the thing that he was creating. It's a hell of a thing when you look at it. But think about this. They have stats on everything. And I, you know, expressed how I felt with my measly, at the time I had a hundred thousand followers on YouTube or something like that in that ballpark when they deleted my channel out of the blue. And I literally felt like I, in the pit of my stomach, I felt it for three days till I grabbed myself by the scruff of my own neck and said, grow the hell up. What the hell are you feeling bad about? Really? And I adjusted myself, but suppose I had been making my total living um, and my whole life had been built around being a YouTube influencer or something like that. Uh, What would have been my response if that would have been taken away? The point I'm making is if they take out a big influencer, you know, what are the odds that a suicide or something else might happen 
And, you know, what's their responsibility in that? I'm just saying, Jason, the controls and, you know, the power that these platforms have to end a career um, are the people at the top considering, you know, that a life, someone might take their own life if you pull their world out from under them with the levels of addiction we're talking about. It's one thing to be addicted to your device, but how much more is that addictive if your entire life, livelihood, and everything you are is built into it? I'm just saying, man. Well, what experience would you have if something happened? Let's say you were uh, doing this social media thing and making money at it in your 20s, and then all of a sudden something happens, whatever it may be, something happens. What experience are you going to have if you if you have to then enter the job market? You don't right. have squat. That's the point. And what would be the result on that life? You know, they want to talk about suicide rates and other things. To me, that puts the onus on the people at the top who so blithely remove a channel. And here's another funny thing, and I'll just mention it offhand. So as anyone who even bothers to pay attention to my YouTube, because it's basically just a advertisement for the website because of what happened there, they froze me at about 194, 95,000. No matter what happens, it never, well, I don't know, a month or two ago that changed and I started creeping up again. But here's an interesting thing that parallels it. When Musk took over Twitter, this is what had happened on my Twitter. And again, I do not communicate. I don't do anything, but say there's an episode up almost a hundred, like 98% of the time there's a new episode on crow777radio.com. Every time I started to approach 10,000 followers in the past, I would get a notice that said, you've got too many fake accounts and bot accounts, and we're going to scrub that. And then four or 5,000 subs would disappear overnight. And I, at that point, I'm just laughing because it's all kind of a joke to me. But suddenly in the last couple months, since supposedly it changed ownership, um, I'm now above 10,000 on Twitter. Not that it matters that much, because again, the only thing I use social media for is to point to my private platform where I have full control and I have freedom of speech. But, and I'm just saying this is a joke, I keep trying to get to the place where I can get over to do solar work again in film. My plan, Jason, is to take a couple solar clips and post them on YouTube just so I can laugh as it crawls over 200 grand, which is what they have been blocking all this time. But don't be fooled. The content will be on my private platform. I will no longer give control of what I create in my life to a social media platform. And thank goodness for that. Well, they, I mean, even the lunar wave, you know, they, they, I actually got a notice at one point when I was reading it, it seemed that they were implying that they had partial ownership because I had used their platform. Anyhow, it doesn't matter anymore. Nothing that matters will ever be posted on social media by me. Again, I will keep control of the labor of my life. Axios.com, February 19th, 2022. The number of LGBTQ-identifying adults is soaring. One in five Gen Z adults identify as LGBTQ, and that number is only expected to go up, according to a Gallup poll released Thursday. People who identify as LGBTQ could make up 10-15% of the adult population in the not-too-distant future, as Gen Z and millennials comprise of an increasing share of the adult population Jeff Jones, the author of the Gallup poll, told Axios. 
the percentage of U.S. adults who identify as LGBTQ has doubled over the past decade, from 3.5% in 2012 to 7.1% in 2021. Gen Z adults who identify as LGBTQ has increased from 10.5% in 2017 to 20.8% in 2021. Millennials, ages 26 to 41, identifying as LGBTQ, increased from 5.8% in 2012 to 10.5% in 2021. The number of traditionalists, those born before 1946, baby boomers, and Generation X adults who identify as LGBTQ, has held relatively steady. Gen Zers who have turned 18 since 2018 are more likely than older members of Gen Z to identify as LGBTQ, so the number of LGBTQ adults will likely increase as all Gen Zers reach adulthood, Jones said. I guess the program's working, but there's a few observations I would make here. One is that, I, and, and again, I would ask, how the hell do they know the percentages? Where are they getting this data from? Social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I can't argue because I don't have an accurate way, but are these even accurate numbers or is this just more of the programming pushing a point of view like we know they do during the polls? Like we covered when they created a poll that was complete nonsense that said, well, 85% of human beings on the planet think this. How about you? You know, so they're they're trying to bully you into agreeing along with their false claim of 85%. I would just ask, how do they know? But um, the, the main thing here is from my point of view, what I have noticed, and by the way, other people who are in the know far beyond what I am in the know about, I said to one of these people, the only reason the powers that be give a damn about any of this is because it lowers birth rate. And I was told spot on exactly that's it. And what does it mean if the so-called baby boomers have hold steady, but the younger generation that's climbing? But the real thing that jumped out at me is your initial claim here, 10 to 15%. If I'm not mistaken, and I hope I'm not mistaken here, I think statistically, 13 to maybe 15% of America is African-American. So what they're claiming here is there would be as many LGBTQ people in this country, if they're correct here, as there are African-Americans in this country. I hope I got the number right, by the way. I'm remembering from past research from a long time ago, but I'm reasonably sure it's below 15%. Hope I'm right. If I'm not, someone please correct me in comments. Now, while Rose and I were sitting in our favorite coffee shop in the French Quarter, I came across this article finishing writing this episode. And I said to Rose, oh, this is going to be really a big one for Crow. SJHExpress.com, October 6th, 2022. Technology is responsible for Generation Z's emotional discourse. Generation Z is being raised in a new dawn of time where a cell phone lives in nearly every American teenager's pocket. Modern technology provides immediate access to thousands of news sources, something never seen before. Quote, Today, with 24-hour news and information in our pockets on our smartphones, I think we just don't see really serious things as serious anymore, said AP European history teacher Rob Lind. Today's generation is constantly digesting new information. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, America's teenagers spend around six and a half hours engaging in entertainment media daily. 
News stimulates the brain and produces an emotional response to the material, and repeated stimulus can lead to desensitization, a diminished reaction. Quote, extensive research evidence indicates that media violence can contribute to aggressive behavior, desensitization to violence, nightmares, and fear of being harmed, said AAP. Last year, I saw kids who were highly addicted to their phones, and they could not go very long without looking at their phones. It was a big problem. I think it desensitizes them to their environment around them, said Lind. Despite negative effects, teenagers still rely on their phones excessively. Each year, CUSD students undergo two lockdown drills. During the most recent drill this year, a student in class asked, what do we do if an intruder comes into our room? When the teacher responded, throw things at them, the entire room burst into laughter. Over the course of our entire lives, Generation Z has participated in drills in response to the dozens of school shootings reported in the media each year. The threat of a school shooting brings students to laugh at the idea of having to defend themselves from a shooter on campus. The effect of this issue reaches farther than dark humor. Quote, the total number of teenagers who recently experienced depression increased 59% between 2007 and 2017, said Pew Research Center. So what's the difference between teenagers in 2007 and teenagers in more recent years? Engagement in social media has become much more rampant and diverse, likely due to the creation of Instagram in 2010, Snapchat in 2011, and TikTok in 2016. No one wants to blame technology. In recent decades, society has been structured to function in unison with the vast technological systems that have been created. Although communication, employment, education, and entertainment all rely upon electronics, overexposure to technology is destroying Gen Z. Think before you scroll. There's so much I could go at here, but let's go back to some foundational things. You, at the top of this run, talked about news sources. What we're talking about here is people tied to content on their digital devices. And what I'm telling you is the majority of that content, particularly news, is controlled programming information. Does everyone remember back way long ago when I covered, I tried, well, I did. I set out, I realized all the news was fake. And at the time it was fake shooting news and all these other things they were doing. Just so many fake news reports. And at the time it was before uh, the lockdown of information and their ability to censor that many videos, everything that happened within an hour, there were videos coming up showing you why it was a put up. Here's the thing I did. I said, well, wait a minute. I know how to write. And I can go get a job and write articles online. And so I knew a person who said, yeah, here's how you apply. But you got to realize they never hire anyone on the first time. Well, by luck or whatever, I got hired to write news articles. And this is what I found. What I wanted to do and what I wanted to prove was impossible, or I wanted to prove if it was impossible, which it was, was to actually report new news. The new true news that I wanted to report was what I saw through my telescope any given night. First-hand observation, this really happened. Can I get this into the news? Couldn't do it. You know why? Because of the rules. 
you had to, and this is literal, and people can go back and listen to the episodes. You had to go get a top search engine. Bing and Google were the top two, if I remember correctly. You had to deduce the keywords. There were usually five to eight in any given news story and find the top trending news story had to be in the top 5%. You had to take that article, use the exact same keywords six times in the article. You had to use the same words that were in the title and refashion the words so it wasn't identical. Then you had to refashion the entirety of the article to so you're basically just regurgitating the same thing. And that was what you had to do to both get paid or to let the editor let your article get through. That was in what, Jason, 20, 2011, 12, 13, something like that, way the hell back. That was the control already that had been put on the news. I think everyone should go over to Michael Hoffman's blog site. And the last two that he has put up, one is about the inauguration of a bad king, referring to Charles. The other one shows that we have been so alchemically processed that we don't know up from down anymore. And rather than me drone on about the other things in this long paragraph, Michael Hoffman does a splendid job in showing what the alchemical programming has done, which is basically underlining what Jason just referenced here. And to finish things off here, NewYorkPost.com, April 17th, 2023. It's too late for Gen Z, so we must save Gen Alpha from digital danger. The youngest members of Gen Z are still only 10 years old, but a preeminent generational expert is already using them as a cautionary tale. Quote, happiness started to decline, life satisfaction declined, expectations went down, Dr. Gene Twenning told the post of Gen Z. Depression went up, and this pessimism really took root among young people. My hope is we can do something so that the teen mental health crisis doesn't affect Polars in the same way it has affected Gen Z. Polars is the name that the San Diego State University psychology professor has given to Gen Alpha, the kids born after 2012. It's a reference to two major issues they will face. (laughs) Political (laughs) polarization and the melting polar ice caps of climate change. There it is. It's all programming. (laughs) Admit it. As bleak as that future sounds, there's an equally threatening one looming. Keeping kids safe will require society to keep up with and regulate rapidly changing technologies, Twang says in her book, Generations, the Real Differences Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and What They Mean for America's Future. Contrary to the popular theory that so-called generation-defining events, the Challenger disaster for Gen X, 9-11 for Millennials, and the pandemic for Gen Z, etc., delineate different age groups. Twang argues in her book that it's actually technology changes that define generations. Major events are not the primary driver of generational differences, she told The Post. It's technology that would make our lives unrecognizable to someone 50 years ago or 200 years ago, and not just technology, but also its downstream effects on culture, on attitudes, on behavior, on development. Let me say one thing first. SDSU, you should be freaking ashamed of yourself. Polars. Let me tell you something. There's a statement here that technology is what changes and define a generation. No, no, no. Let me go back to the cited examples from the same mouth. The Challenger disaster, 
false news. 9-11, false news. The pandemic, false. All of it, social engineering and programming. So now we're getting to the crux of what actually creates a generation and why they have a name. This is the same reason that Jason and I found when we went at decades. Why does this decade look different than this? Why is the music difference? You know why? Because the people in important positions insure it. And while they're insuring it, they insert the programming, the memes, the words, the buzz ideas, all the things that need to carry their ideas forward. And again, how can it possibly be that the last generation of the alphabet, Gen Z, perfectly aligns with the reset? And what's the new one called for the supposed onset of the new world order? Well, that's Generation Alpha, isn't it? But what's more insulting than anything is this opens up with the balls to say that a group, a huge group of living young people in this world are throwaway. It's too late for Generation Z. Who the hell are you? No, it's not. No, it's not. How about if the older folk do their part and help out a begotten generation of young people trying to make their way with no good, clear example and precious little good parenting, I would estimate. I mean, what do you think, Jason? It takes some balls to open up an article by throwing a complete generation away. Yeah, that article was uh, really a mixed bag. I agree that the technology has done <laughs> goodness knows what kind of damage to these poor uh, young folks. But wow, just casting them aside like, oh, yeah, they're screwed. But I also agree that uh, we should be careful with this up and coming generation. How about we don't just hand them an iPad the moment they could possibly hold it? Uh, let's, let's think about these things. There's another observation I'd make here, Jason. When Sandy Hopes happened within. 20 minutes of the announcement, the video started to come out. There was a point when there were so many Sandy Hoax videos up that it was almost laughable that they were still pushing. And it came to the point where a supposed police captain or chief or something actually came on television and said, if you deny this happened, we're going to prosecute you or something to that effect. That's how effective the communication exchange had gotten. And by the way, why isn't Sandy Hoax regularly a big deal? You know why? Because it was so thoroughly pulled apart beginning 10 minutes after it was announced to the year or more later where video after video was posted online showing why it was fake. And I would submit that if the free exchange of information had been allowed to continue, then it would have capped the news's ability to do what it does. And people would not be so dependent on social media. How is it that back then we were not seeing all these social media problems that we see now? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the people who built it figured out how to build in the addiction better, got the stats and the AI to better trap people into their little snare. Because back around the Sandy Hoax era, this was not the problem that it is now. And what's more is these fake news stories were getting their butts handed to them to the point where when they did Mandalay Bay, all the effort they had put into it started fooling so many people. We thought we had demonstrated that this is all nonsense going on in the mainstream. And so many people got fooled. So once again, I stood up 
not wanting to because I knew what was coming. I knew I was going to need a flak jacket. I did it nonetheless because so many people had a gun again fallen for the nonsense. And I said, look, this is the first scene of Macbeth. Look, and we started pointing out the shooter is the demon familiar. Boil, boil, toil and trouble or whatever the hell it is. And what happened? They took out my YouTube channel right there and then because I had the balls to stand up and show that the media was once again fabricating horrific lies. My point is, is if that had been allowed to go on, what would have actually happened is the media would no longer have been able to go on lie all the time because there were too many sharp minds out there pulling apart in real time. And instead, what happened is the truth and the people who could see the truth were censored and not allowed to have a voice anymore. They were clipped off at the knees while the people creating the platforms, the social engineers built in more addiction and more traps and took over the culture of the young generations. That's actually how I see it, Jason. So this idea that somehow the technology in and of itself is inherently evil, well, there is some truth to that. What's actually inherently evil is the mega corporations who do their dirty work with the tools that they have. That's the real problem from my point of view. Well, as far as Sandy Hook is concerned, That narrative must stand as the mainstream pushes because if anybody seriously was able to get the notion into the mainstream public that that was poppycock, that would be a huge blow to all of their narratives then and now and coming up. So that's why we've seen such backlash to anything Sandy Hook. They need that to stand. That was ripped at the time. Everybody with two synapses to rub together knew that that was phony. And that core, actually, it's a big core of people who were there to witness what happened. And it wasn't just Sandy Hoax. It's just that Sandy Hoax was the big event. Then they started ripping apart the language and the dates and all the things that go with it in their occult horror show that they want the world to think is true. That carried in to the modern era. That's the core of people that are now trying to stay alive on social media because they didn't create their own platforms. My point being is that in real time, each of these false narratives, these horrific things that are designed to convince you the human beings are pawn scum, they're violent, they eat their own young, they just want to kill each other. All this horrific stuff they want you to believe was being pulled apart in real time. And it lasted two, three, maybe, maybe four years. And the axe fell when I stood up against Mandalay Bay. It openly fell. It made the cover of Wired Magazine that year, if I remember correctly. And it was in the fall, October, if I remember, of 2017, when they finally realized we have to censor or our narrative is going to be ripped apart, ripped to shreds. This world is based on lies, and what's actually happening to this young generation is the ability of other people to stand up and say, hey, youngsters, this is why this is not true, is almost non-existent. Because if you do that, you're removed, you're unplatformed, your account is locked, the content is taken down. Anyone, I'll do it right now, Jason. I will go right now, logged in to my YouTube account, and I will search Sandy Hook. When I did this back then, every single return was why it was fake. And what I get now 
Top review, 7 million views, why it was a tragedy. Mainstream news, million views. Mainstream news, uh, here's real crime inside the horror. Let me go a few pages in. Let me see if I can get beyond the mainstream narrative that was so deftly ripped apart with thousands of videos. Nope, I'm pages and pages in. 44,000 views nine months ago, NBC News. The conspiracy theorist Alex Zone admits Sandy Hoax was a, was 100% real. Thanks for your help in all this, Alex Jones, but I guess we knew who you were. Uh, I could go page after page. I cannot find one that says that it was a put-up. There is no alternative voice. But anyhow, Jason, don't get me going on this because it is frustrating as all get out because I was there and saw what a handful, like maybe five core people and maybe 20 to 30 outliers did to that narrative. They ripped it apart and it was ripped apart in plain view. And we lost that. And now we have to have private platforms, but the problem becomes is it's almost impossible to have a private platform and build an audience. Anyhow, I hope I didn't get too far afield on that because it really gets my goat, the censorship. We can't overemphasize the importance of Sandy Hook, so good thing to always bring up every now and then. As far as the generations are concerned, man, I feel bad for a lot of the youth, but uh, this was very interesting and eye-opening to look at a lot of this data, and I have no idea of the complete validity of it. This is what the mainstream gave me when I went looking, so it is what it is out there, everybody. Take it uh, as you will. Well, I'll point out one thing. Before we go out and appreciate all those videos people love to make trying to convince Generation Z that they're morons, I would point out this. If someone from so-called Generation Z went to do research online on the Boston bombing or Sandy Hook, they would not find a single dissenting voice. Do you see? Do you see what's happened here? It's a one-sided tale. And it would be a very special Gen Zer who would be able to break beyond that barrier to begin to realize and then further the point of view that gets them closer to recognizing the programming that is so mightily being aimed at them. As I close here, I'm convinced Gen, Gen Z is a throwaway to the programmers now. They're just waiting for them to die off. And to some degree, Gen X too. What they want, they want the millennials and Generation Z and, of course, Generation Alpha. But I'll give you one last shot. Anything you want to add before I wrap up 505, Jason? Well, no generation is truly lost. Uh, maybe the lost generation, because I don't think any of them are alive anymore. But uh, no, we can't be throwing away hordes and hordes of, of our youth uh, just because they have some issues. Try and be there for people more often. <laughs> try and get their heads out of those damned screens. That's what I tried to do. There you go. Before you comment, yeah, that generation's a bunch of idiots. Why don't you do something to help? Because when you were young, how did you learn anything? You learned because someone older than you, the majority of the time, helped you out to know something. They showed you something. They taught you something. Or you simply witnessed it and learned by example. Just saying. Not helping anyone by bagging on an entire generation like that who can't even log on to the internet and find a single return that shows why the Boston bombing and Sandy Hoax were a complete psychological operation. With that, I'm going to bring 505 to a close. And truly, I'd like to wish everybody out there a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. 
And now more than ever, we have to help each other out. We just have to, because truly divided, we will fall. And that is the aim of what's going on is to divide us. There it is, man. Cheers. Belief is the enemy of knowing.